Okay, so we're continuing our Advent series, Invitation. And last week, Cots talked about how God wants us to invite him into our regrets. And so today we're talking about how God wants us to invite him into our power. And as in Star Wars, we all love Star Wars, it's the great metaphor of life. Um, power can be used for the force or for the dark side. And we can choose, I was going to try and do my Yoda voice, but <laughs> I'll try, I won't. But we can choose to use our power responsibly. And so I created a fun kind of non-scientific um, assessment that will help us uh, really won't help us. This, there's no conclusive results. You will not or know anything more about yourself. And, but, um, you know, I looked on, inter, on the Evite to see, like, what are some scientific responses we can have. So, you know, this is going to help you decide, like, or help you understand if you're power hungry or not. Okay? And the question that the way you're going to respond to these statements is, it's very scientific. Absolutely. Hmm. Or unthinkable. That was the fun one from Evite. Okay, so I'm going to read this, the sentence, and you can whisper it to, you know, your, your, your kids or your friends or your spouse. You can, you can whisper your answer, like, absolutely. You can, you can share that. But don't whisper your answer for the person next to you. Like, you know, if you're sitting next to your husband, like, yeah, absolutely for you. Okay, you know, this is... This is for you, for our own self-awareness, okay? So let's start the unhelpful assessment. Number one, doing my best is not enough. I need to be the best. Okay, what's your answer? Is it absolutely? Is it hmm? Or is it unthinkable? Okay, just go with whatever you first came into your mind. Don't think about it too much. Don't think about what the Jesus answer is. Just, you know, what are you? Okay, number two. I need to be in charge. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. I think it will. Okay, number three. I play to win, even if it's a friendly competition. Okay, absolutely. Okay. Number four, I make the rules more than I follow the rules. Absolutely mm, unthinkable. Okay, number five, I use intimidation, manipulation, guilt, passive-aggressive behavior, whatever it takes to get what I want. Okay, I, can, I think by the laughs, <laughs> we can all say that we prefer to be in a position of power. And God, you know, he just wants to invite himself into our power. And a great example of that is found in Luke 2, um, 1 through 7. So we're going to um, look at that. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So in those days, Luke is referring to the days when Rome ruled the world. They ruled the world after years of brutal war, destruction, and death. And power was everything. And so if we can kind of get an image of what that world was like, imagine a pyramid. where at the very top in that small area is where the elite and the aristocracy was, where they had all that small group of people had all the power and the privilege. And if you go look down the next part, you know, the next part of the, the next layer in the pyramid are the people, the class that helped to maintain 
that's the people, you know, the elite's power and prestige and their, their wealth. And then the largest part of the pyramid would be the, uh, the people who were like the peasants and the free landowners. Where, you know, they didn't have any opportunity to move up the social ladder. But if anything, they were just trying to make ends meet. Like if, if they had bad harvest, if there was an increase in taxes, they could lose everything. And they would be quickly demoted to the lowest layer of the pyramid, which is the destitute, who had nothing. Okay, so here, you know, power was everything. The lines where you landed in that pyramid was very clear. Power is everything. And at that top of that pyramid was Caesar Augustus. He was the most powerful man in the world at that time. And everything was for him. It was for his power and his prestige and to maintain his, um, you know, the Roman Empire. And so just to give you some background, he um, was the son... Julius Caesar was his great uncle, and Julius Caesar adopted him, and so he became heir to the throne. He was um, uh, Egypt's first Roman emperor, and he was brilliant. He was a great administrator. He created, like, the justice system. He created, um, you know, a common language for everyone. He built roads, and which, you know, increased commerce and trade, and, you know, all of that really just built, you know, just contributed to the great wealth and power of the Roman Empire. Um, before Rome ruled everybody, right, there were wars. There were a lot of wars. A lot of countries were warring with, were, you know, were at war with one another. And so it was very unstable and it was very fearful. And so now that everyone was under Roman rule, right, Caesar Augustus seemed like the savior, that he was the one who brought peace into the world. He brought freedom and victory. And he's the one who, you know, who, who just made the world just a better place. And so they called him Savior. They called him um, the Son of God because when Julius, died, Julius Caesar died, he was known as God. And because Caesar Augustus was his son, even before he died, he wanted everyone to acknowledge that he was the Son of God. And so he, he would do things. Everything was for the Roman Empire. And so even if he, you know, when he made the decree to have the census, that was his way of saying, look, these are all my people. These are all the people. I am ruler of these people. And then, you know, we, the census would lead to, you know, keeping track of people for military power so they could maintain the Roman power. It would be, you know, they would um, people require people to pay taxes so that more money would be fed in to the Roman, power, Roman Empire that would, that would feed into his power. And so as he d- makes these decrees, the people who suffered the most were the people at the bottom of the pyramid, the people like Joseph and Mary. And so Joseph and Mary, they have to go to Bethlehem. And, and so if we read further in Luke 2, it says, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. So while Joseph is forced to go to Bethlehem, his place of origin, the city of David, he is fulfilling scripture. Because the, the prophecy was like that the baby was going to be born and come from Bethlehem. Micah 5.2 says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, through you are small, through you are small, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, 
whose origins are from old and from ancient times. And so Luke is pointing out that, you know, that you may, you know, it may feel like Caesar Augustus is the son of God. It may feel like he's the most powerful man in the world. But Jesus is the son of God, that he is the Messiah, the Savior who has promised to come. That all of these attributes, these characteristics that, you know, Caesar Augustus is telling, you know, uh, proclaiming for himself that he is, the, that he, he is the one who brought peace to this world. That he is the one who's, who's ruling and has the power. And, and he is the one who brought safety and victory and freedom. Luke is pointing his readers and he's pointing us to say, no, it's God. It's the son of God, Jesus, who, who we, you know, we prophesied that was going to come. The one, you know, he talks about... Um, Mary, right? He brings up Mary in the scripture, calling him back to the earlier chapter where she um, has this miraculous conception, right? Of, and Jesus is the son of God. That he is the baby that was going to be the real savior. Not who will proclaim to be, but the real savior. He's the real son of God. We know this because of the virgin birth. And so he's pointing us to that and reminding the Jewish people that, yeah, we may think that Caesar Augustus is God, the son of God, but, but Jesus is the son of God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so when we look at this, Caesar Augustus, you know, he exercised power through control in the form of war and destruction and death for his best. It's, it's, it's written that his last words may have been to his friends, I found Rome of clay. I leave it to you in marble. Have I played the part well? Then applaud me as I exit. Everything he did was for himself. Everything was for his best. And we look at his life and history underneath the conquest and all of his accomplishments and all that he did and all the wealth and prestige. We find a man who was just working so hard to prove that he had worth and value, that he wanted to make himself believe and help make others believe that he had significance. And as he worked and as he tried to prove and as, you know, he did all of these things in that process, he used, exercised his power and control over and above others, which took away their humanity, which took away their worth and their value. He reduced them to objects for his purpose and for his best. And he didn't really want a relationship with his people, right? He just wanted them to be obedient and to be loyal so he could maintain his power. And so compare Caesar Augustus to God, God who exercised his power through love in the form of a baby, not for his best, but for our best. The ruler of Israel was born into a family who existed at the bottom of the pyramid. He didn't come from the elite and the wealth at the top of the pyramid. The Messiah was born in a small town with no grand, you know, good news is coming, the emperor child is born, you know, the son of God is born. No one really knew where he was or who he was or that he was even born. The son of God slept in a manger. The prince of peace came into our world as a baby 
that no one feared. Like, people feared Caesar Augustus. But Jesus came as a baby that no one could fear. The king of kings was a baby who needed to be fed and cared for, but he didn't, he didn't have the servants. He didn't have the silver spoon. He didn't even have a room that he could call his own. The Savior was completely dependent on Joseph and Mary. And so God, who is all-powerful, he's all-powerful, he chose to become powerless, and he chose to become vulnerable. Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us, he chose to humble himself because he desired more than just obedience from us. He desired a relationship. He wanted to be in a relationship with us because he loves us. And so here's, I think, what we can learn and what we can take away. That power exercised over and above others for one's own best It hardens hearts, and it builds walls. It's a barrier for relationships. But power exercised with vulnerability, as Jesus has shown us, for the best of others, it softens hearts, and it builds relationships. And I think a lot of us, we try to exercise our power to control for the best of others, because we love them, or that's what we tell ourselves. But love always wants what's best for others. And sometimes, especially I think when I think of me as a parent, and as my children are growing up, and I want to, to tell them what to do, I, mean, I still do, but you know, I wanna tell them what to do, and I kinda wanna control them, because I ris- I'm afraid I'm gonna lose them. And it's really scary to me. By me trying to control, you know, because for me, it's like, you know, if I'm vulnerable, that's scary too. So it's like, what do I do? If I just give them the, their authority and the power to choose, then they're going to go, right? And it's scary. It's risky. But if, I'm, if I try to control what Caesar Augustus teaches me is that it hardens hearts that it builds walls and it breaks down relationships. And so if I try to control that, that is how I'm going to lose them. But if we can follow Jesus' example and be powerless and let go of our power and be vulnerable, then that's going to soften hearts and that's going to build the relationship. I think most of us prefer to be in a power position, and our culture affirms that, you know, in our businesses and and our um, schools, and and it's very scary. But I love how Henry Nouwen puts it. He has this, he wrote this in the name of, this quote is from the, in the name of Jesus. He says, "Um, what makes the temptation of power so seemingly irresistible? Maybe it's the power, maybe it's that power offers an easy substitute for the hard task of love. It seems easier to be God than to love God, easier to control people than to love people, easier to own life than to love life. And so God wants us to invite him into our power because he loves us, and he wants to dig deeper and help us understand what's underneath, what is driving that need to control, what's driving that need to want to exercise our power over and above others. And so when we're at work, 
or we're at school and we feel like I need to be the best, right? If we could just like take pause and recognize that we're thinking that and we're feeling that and just be like, okay, God, you want me to invite you into this power. I'm going to let you in and let's dig deep. Let's recognize this feeling and why I'm feeling like that. When we're interacting with our spouse or a significant other and we feel like we need to win, like we're gonna, I'm going to win this argument no matter what because I'm right. When you, maybe, hopefully, well, it doesn't even matter, even if it's before or after, hopefully it's before for your spouse's sake. <laughs> uh, you know, just to take pause of that feeling and that desire to win and just be like, Lord, what is that? I invite you in. Invite him into that space. Or when we're feeling the need to intimidate or manipulate or guilt or use passive-aggressive behavior to get what we want. When we feel that, let's just pause and like ask God to come in. Because he, he wants us to have um, a relationship with him. And these things that we're trying to do, our, our exercise of power to control is just keeping us from having that relationship with him and with one another. And so it's not because he wants us to be good Christians. It's not because he wants to be, you know, uh, perfect. It's because he wants us to experience his love and he wants us to love him back because he wants that relationship with us. And he knows that that's the only way that it can happen. Because if you try to do it with power and control, he knows that we're, our hearts are going to be hard. And we're, not, we're just going to build up a wall. And so I've asked Pastor Stan to come forward and just to leave, lead us in a time of reflection and prayer and contemplation. And then he's going to close in prayer. And as he closes in prayer, the um, praise team can come forward. Uh, one of the things are one of the ways that God wants to show his power is when we pray. So I'm going to get, uh, invite us to do a little exercise. Normally, we think of prayer as we put our hands together and close our eyes or, or things. And I'm not saying that's bad, but I, would, I want to invite you to, to a different kind of prayer posture, okay? So what, what I would invite you to do is this, to take your hands and cross over, okay? And so you feel your shoulders. Okay? And then what I invite you to do is squeeze. Just go ahead and squeeze. What is that? And, and have that feeling in you. Okay? And that feeling is God's power. That God's power is not to point you in a direction or like Lori said, to make you do something, but it's to hold you. It's to hold you and to let you know that he is for you and not against you. That his power is designed not to get something out of you, but to let you know that you are so valuable, that you are so worthy, that he will never let you go. And so that power that, that you're feeling with your hands, imagine that is being supplied because it is with God. Because that's what God wants to do in prayer is to let you know that his power is for you. And his power is not to manipulate you. His power is not to make you into something that you aren't. 
it's actually meant to make you to be everything that you were ever intended to be. So why don't we pray?